Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei, the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How are you doing today, Adam? The tops of my cans of seltzer water. You know, do you do this thing like someone throws you a, a cold one mm. and you grab it and I reflexively, like I'll draw my thumb across the part where, where my lerps will go. Uh-huh. And then I'll draw my thumb again over the top where the popper goes, and then then it's ready to drink. As if my thumb has any properties that would make it any more clean uh-huh. than it would be. Are you broadcasting from a summer barbecue where somebody <laughs> underhanded you a cold one? Well, I'm telling you this because like the last several cans of bubbly water I've had have felt kind of greasy to me. Ooh. And I can't figure out why that is. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely admonished as a boy to always clean a can if I didn't know where it had been because, yeah. you know, the the boxes that they ship those in are not, like, enclosed. And so, like, you know, yeah. rats can run over the top of the cans or whatever. Anything can happen in those trucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't. I guess I don't drink straight from the can very often in any case. Oh, is that my problem? I feel like uh, I I went on like a tour of a, a beer brewery one time and they... Oh, no. I'm, now I'm going to learn the awful truth, aren't I? No, it wasn't bad. It was just like you'll enjoy the beer more if you pour it out in a glass because... I've stuff- never seen that many rats fucking at once. And it was on top <laughs> of every can. Rat rope after rat rope. Most cans are made of rat shit. <laughs> No, it was just like a, you'll enjoy the beverage more if your nose is doing its part of the job also. Oh, yeah. You know, like when you drink a glass of wine, your your beak goes all the, all the way in that glass. I want to open up this uh, lime and bubbly water flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good thought. Yeah. I don't know if it counts for sodi pops and whatnot. I chose lazy. I didn't want to dirty another glass, but maybe I should have. Now that I'm thinking of it, like the default way soda is presented to us in most contexts is cup with lid and straw, which like completely cuts the nose out of the equation. It cuts the nose to spite the soda. (laughs) It's not how it should be at all. Yeah. I like my nose. I like breathing out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I finally can. Feeling as good as I have in weeks. Oh, that's great to hear. Cleared right up. Adam, it's been a little while since the re-encounter at Farpoint, but uh, yeah. we had a great time doing that live show. And one of the things that we've been doing with these streaming shows is VIP meet and greets, where we mm-hmm. you could compare these to a Zoom call, where uh, we just hop on and get to meet friends of DeSoto briefly, and we take a quick photo with them and talk to them about whatever they want to talk about. And we were on with uh, listener Andrew recently, who swears up and down he has a real fiancé who isn't in Canada. We spent most of our meet and greet time trying to determine whether or not that was true. (laughs) But uh, Andrew, in a recent Code 47, sent in a whole bunch of custom-made Star Trek Mad Libs and reminded us of this. And I I felt like an idiot because I was really excited when we opened the box and discovered these Mad Libs, but we haven't done a Mad Lib Marin since we received them. 
And I think we should rectify that today. Oh yeah, let's rectify it big time. <laughs> the both of us. One, two. And you people, you're all some kind of Star Trek. Some kind of Star Trek. Excited for this. It's been a long time. In most past editions of Star Trek Mad Libs, I've been the one with the pad. Yeah. And you've been the the word giver. I'm a little nervous about being the word giver. I want to choose good words. Yeah, the shoe's on the other foot today. Yeah. I guess we could potentially go back and forth also, because um, the way these work is that we fill it out on one side of a piece of paper, and then we'll flip it over and find out what we did. So it's it's even going to be a mystery to me as we fill this out. Wow. Okay. But why don't you get us started with a verb ending in I-N-G? All right. Verb ending in I-N-G. A verb is an action word. <laughs> Right? (laughs) A verb is an action word. Right? Oh, thank God. Okay. It's like my favorite Star Wars meme. (laughs) How about carving? Carving, okay. There's a temptation to do Star Trek-specific words, but the Mad Lib itself is Star Trek-specific, so I don't think you need to, right? This is a great point. I think do whatever words make you feel good. I'm going to choose intentionally not Star Trek words. Okay. And then we'll find out how bad of a decision that was when we do the flip over. Verb is our next part of speech. All right. Drink. Drink. Okay. Uh, Plural body part. Okay. Uh, Boobs. (laughs) Noun. Home. Nonsense name. Nonsense name. That's got to be an alien, right? What does that mean? Nonsense name? Like the name of a person that is unpronounceable? Yeah. Or weird? Yeah. How about defested? <laughs> I'm, I'm positive that Jake will take that in the way it's intended. How about a verb ending in I-N-G? Hmm. Skating. Skating. That one's going to be for Wendy. <laughs> We're going roller skating. Another verb. Stuff. Like, to stuff? Uh-huh. Another verb, Adam. Pack. <laughs> A period of time. 22 minutes. Hey, I thought you were trying to avoid Star Trek specifics. I know, I, I couldn't help it. Three adjectives. Three adjectives? Now, that's a part of speech that modifies a noun. How about red, white, and blue? <laughs> America. A longer period of time than the previous. Oh, how about 47 minutes? Fuck, that's so good. That's a Star Trek reference. Verb. Yell. And finally, a planet. Neptune. Okay, Adam, I'm going to uh, unfold this piece of paper and see what we've got here. This story is called Working with Janeway. Mm. goes like this. Ensign Pranica, you're going to be carving alone with Captain Janeway for the first time today. And I wanted to let you know a few things before you accidentally drink on her boobs. (laughs) And get yourself into real home. You're going down to Defested 5, and she's going to be relying on you to be skating at your very best. I know you've got what it takes, 
but you're going to have to stuff it right here, right now, or the captain won't pack you on an away mission for 22 minutes. She's red, but she's white. She's also more blue than anyone I've ever met. And she's kept us alive for 47 minutes. So stay focused. Yell whatever she tells you to, and we'll all get back to Neptune before you know it. Hey, that works. <laughs> That's pretty good. That wasn't too crazy. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. It started very sexy, though. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I mean, a plural body part, I was thinking dicks because Klingons have m- more than the one. Right. That would have been a surprising thing to learn about Janeway, too. Yeah. But uh, these things worked out great. Thank you, Andrew, for sending those in. Andrew, you rule. Thanks for giving us our Marin Open today. Yeah. Well, Adam, do you want to get into the meat of this episode? Or are you in too conspiratorial a state of mind? I mean, is that even meat? And is that what they want us to think? Mm, I don't know. It's meat laced with adrenochrome, probably. Yeah, it's umbilical cord blood meat. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 9. Nice. The Voyager Conspiracy. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. (laughs) And in our cold open, we find Naomi Wildman is waiting for Seven in her alcove. I don't know how I feel about a kid playing in my alcove when I'm not around. Didn't that always feel really intense when you were a kid and you'd go over to a friend's house and they'd like... And you'd go show... into their parents' bedroom? Yeah, you'd like, like their parents' bedroom felt like a dangerous, like not okay place to be as a kid. Absolutely. I mean, that's where all the porn was. <laughs> there were definitely kids that I played with growing up who like spent lots of time in their parents' bedrooms and like didn't understand why I had misgivings about going in there, you know, on a visit to their house or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of a lot can happen in there. Kind of a lot can happen in there that you wish you could forget. <laughs> but instead, it's just seared into your mm. eyeballs forever. Yeah. Paging through a dog-eared copy of The Joy of Sex. <laughs> yeah. Kind of more dog ears than you'd expect. Yeah. It's like, how much of this did you not remember from reading it? What the hell? <laughs> like, you have to re- refer back all the time? There's one of those clips that holds the book flat, like for (laughs) recipe books, as if it's being looked at during. (laughs) Don't love that. Seven has uh, stood Naomi Wildman up for a game of Cotiscot. It's a bad look, Seven. This is what what Paris was doing to Ensign Kim a couple episodes ago when he got his cool new spaceship. I think by now, Naomi Wildman should know that she is not a priority for adults. Yeah. Reschedule for tomorrow. I'm working now. The uh, thing that Seven is preoccupied with is a new gadget that she's going to be modifying her alcove with uh, that will enable her to download all of the sensor data from the ship and load it right into her Borg brain. And in this way, she will have a deeper and richer understanding of what the ship is going through on a day-to-day basis. And uh, this is something she was used to doing as a drone. And uh, she's kind of bragging on how much more capable she's about to become. You know what this idea feels like? Four tens. 
You remember the first time that started to go around the office? Like, you know, if I just work four tens, I can get Friday off. Mm. Like, this feels like what Seven's trying to do. Like, if I can just work in my sleep, I can start taking Fridays for me. Right. And then I could play Kata Scott with Naomi as much as I want. That's not how this works, Seven. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. Now, you have to get the approval of a manager, and no manager of mine ever approved four tens. <laughs> no matter how emphatic I was about the idea. Anytime I've had a job, like three o'clock rolls around and I'm already so fucking desperate to leave. Yeah. I can't imagine like willingly adding a couple hours to my sentence every day. Yeah, I would say for me, and I know you know this about me, I will just work and work and work and <laughs> I'll, I will work toward free time in the future that I then never claim. Yeah, yeah, that's a... <laughs> It's a cruel hamster ball you found yourself in. <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. So when Naomi leaves, Seven gets into her regeneration closet uh, right after Naomi. Yeah. I'd probably wipe that down, mm. maybe. I would also probably do this with some supervision if I was like doing something that will massively modify the way en information enters my brain. Right. You want a chaperone for this, don't you? I would recommend a chaperone anytime yeah. you're modifying the doors of perception. Mm. And the music seems to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of a weird move to theme here. Just a get up into the closet, into theme. And after the theme, Janeway orders fajitas from the replicator during a dinner with Chakotay. And they are so authentic mm. that even the plate is hot. I yeah. love that. Yeah. They're sizzling as they go across the restaurant and everybody starts ordering fajitas. The kitchen's ready for that. They started making a bunch of extra orders of fajitas the second the first one went out. Hey, we got to move these peppers and onions before they spoil. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get these babies out there. I like seeing date night between Chakotay and the captain. That's not what this is. I guess they are in uniform. They're in uniform, and it seems like all they ever talk about is work when they're together. Yeah. I like the, the like, small townification of what life in, on Voyager is like. Paris misread a simulation that the doctor was running on a screen in Six Bay, interpreted it as everyone on deck five is pregnant. That tore through the ship like wildfire as a rumor, and... Neelix wanted to make a nursery in uh, one of the cargo bays. That's great. How excited would Naomi Wildman be for some other kids? Probably very excited. Yeah. That news probably affects her the most. But her type of alien ages super rapidly, right? So, like, Yeah, she's going to be a teen by the time these babies get born. She's going to hate these kids. And then they'll probably like ask her to help out with them, and she'll totally resent them. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually not going to work out well for Naomi Wildman at all. No. It's going to be bad. <laughs> Life is basically not going in Naomi Wildman's favor. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> Seven has finished her regeneration cycle back in her alcove, and immediately she blows in a call to BLT. And this is useful dialogue here 
to tell us what time it is because BLT is pissed to be getting this call waking her up. Good morning, Seven. This better be important. I never want to admit that I'm still in bed if somebody calls me and wakes me up because I don't want them to feel bad, I guess. And so I'll, I'll never, I'll never cop to being in bed. But like most of the time people can hear it in my voice. They're like, oh, I woke you up. I'm so sorry. I'll call back later. And I'm like, no, you didn't. I was up. I've been up. You have routinely answered the phone when I've called with an apology right in the beginning. <laughs> sorry. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Ben speaking. <laughs> this is why I feel such an affinity for the people of Canada, you know? I bet you have a well-practiced, I wasn't just sleeping voice for the phone, right? Because sometimes you'll just give yourself away with yeah. groggy voice. I think that groggy voice is hard to conceal is the issue. So, anyways. My problem is my voice is very deep when I first wake up. So like that's the giveaway. Yeah. I've clearly been sleeping if I sound awesome. Who is this? <laughs> yeah. Who is this really cool person? I must have the wrong number. Yeah, they, they show up on the bridge, Seven and BLT, with a request for the captain about turning off the sensor array. And this is after everybody's up and the captain has decided that they're not going to go check out this nebula that Chakotay was interested in because she'd rather look into a graviton flux that they picked up. Why don't they ever do things that Chakotay wants to do? I mean, this felt like the right call, like between the two things, like this one more profitable to their endeavor. Probably no chance of you getting this graviton fluctuation pregnant, Chicote. <laughs> Whereas one in four nebulas we've encountered has been an entity of some kind, and who's to say whether they're fecund or not? <laughs> Our course is locked in. They're heading toward this graviton flux, and it's a bit weird to take the sensors offline right now because of that. But uh, Seven has this story about these photonic fleas that came aboard, and she goes through this kind of like Hercule Poirot like sequence of events where Neelix brought the larvae aboard in a canister of spice that he acquired from a former Talaxian colony. And like a million weird details lead them to opening up a panel in a Jeffrey's tube and finding little bugs flying around one of the pieces of equipment and they're messing up the sensors. And Seven was only aware of this because she like downloaded so much information to, into her head last night. I really love the unique way that this episode presents that information, like the flashbacks and particularly the moments of them yeah. beginning here. Like, those choices are really good choices, I think. I love the the way the camera work goes in those flashbacks. It's unusual too, right? Yeah, like the, the camera kind of like flying around the room and like, it, because it's sort of like she has as much detail about anything that was happening on the ship at any given time in the last several months or whatever that she can just go look in fine detail at any one moment and see what happened and it's like oh the photonic flea larva got out of the the can when Neelix opened it and into the replicator because Ensign Kim happened to be servicing it at the same time it's a real outbreak the movie style visual language yeah. following these particles <laughs> around right it's airborne that's big fun Seven is like so vindicated on this theory that seems absolutely cockamamie when she first 
presents it that uh, she is just cock of the walk. She is like so fucking proud in this moment when they open the panel up and find the fleas. She knew it all along. Yeah. Very proud moment. So they pull up to where this graviton flux was coming from, and it's a space station, and they get this dude, Tash, on the view screen, and he's like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, you guys should put up your shields because uh, we're dealing with some problems with this space station that, uh, you know, will fuck your ship up if you're not careful. I'm trying to restabilize the core, and I just I need some help. Tash is a great combination of loaf and attitude and situation that makes you not fear him or be suspicious of him early on. Yeah. He just seems like a guy busy doing science. And maybe it's that his first dialogue is like one of protection for Voyager. He's like a, a middle school scientist about to do something with a Bunsen burner. He's like, <laughs> stand back, kids. Yeah. Everybody put on your, uh, <laughs> your goggles. <laughs> I really like his whole deal. I, I liked Tash a lot too. And uh yeah, the actor that plays Tash still works all the time. I, I looked yeah. him up and he's got like multiple twenty twenty three credits and no surprise. Yeah. He's got kind of a duck mouth without the beak, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. He's got like a surfboard on his head. <laughs> yeah. He really does. Yeah. Somebody should be riding on that wood. Hmm. Maybe there's a Mrs. Tash <laughs> who likes that ride. Uh-huh. Because Mrs. Dash brings you a garden of flavors. So, yeah, he's explaining, uh, oh, yeah, I'm also a lost soul uh, here in the D-Quad. It would have been 10 years for me to get home. Can you imagine? Anyways, instead of uh, spending 10 years warping home, I just decided to build this great method of travel that could get you a thousand light years in a matter of hours. Why aren't we suspicious about this being a one-person job. <laughs> like, the way they compose the shots of the exterior, this thing could be massive, but we don't really know its proximity to Voyager. Yeah. To know for sure. It does seem massive. Gotta be big enough to fly a ship through it. Yeah. It looks cool as hell as a project. It does. It's got sort of like a like jump gate yeah. shape to it like a lot of science fiction previsages a a faster than light travel that requires equipment on both ends and that's sort of a way it looks but the word space catapult is thrown around yeah. in this mclaughlin group issue one holy moly that sounds amazing it really does the question is how do we restabilize the core because i've been testing it and it seems to work but the energy core destabilized on one of the tests and without that being fixed we're kind of up shit creek and they come up with this idea to use the deflector dish because this is star trek mm -hmm. and he's kind of shocked that they're like not trying to get payment for this but the the great deal is like once he's gone once he gets home you know using this it's there for them to use it's real potato gun energy you got to help your buddy with the PVC pipe and the valves and and so forth. So you get to use the potato gun also. Right, yeah. And we'll take you up on that offer. Thank you. And it's like, you know, I know there's like a really high chance that all the like hairspray we're using is going to explode and I'm going to get a piece of PVC shrapnel in my belly or whatever. Back when I built one, we just used air. We didn't use a flammable fuel for this. 
You weren't using an accelerant? No, we used uh, compressed air. Wow, that seems smarter. Yeah, I think it worked one time and then it failed completely, but we never <laughs> got that potato back. It flew a long way. <laughs> Seven is kind of hooked on this new memory download situation. And uh, we see her going to bed, loading herself up with information about the station that Tash built. And she wakes up the next morning in a state of mind that is very concerned about what's going on here. Yeah. Seven's all about waking people up when she's up. Yeah. And Janeway is incredulous about the idea of this being a trap. She's just trying to enjoy her fucking coffee. This is hard to believe. Tash rules everything around us. (laughs) Dream, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. What Seven says has enough to pique the imagination, right? This Upsilon radiation is rare enough that its appearance on, on this gate, on Tash's gate, is only the second time they've ever encountered it. The first time was at the caretaker's array. Yeah. So what's going on here? Like, that little detail, Janeway's like, Janeway was not ready to believe it before, but this radiation's too rare for it to be a coincidence. And so in engineering, they full-on hauled Tash there for a DNA test, and they don't find any caretaker DNA in him, which is a relief. A relief enough for Janeway to be like, all right, well, let's keep working together at this point, now that we've verified your identity. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that this happened in engineering, because it's like... What's the logic of even staging this scene here? Just like they can get to work the second well, he's done being verified? All the stirrups are still up on the bio beds from Paris's misdiagnosis of what's going on <laughs> on the ship. It's really not usable. <laughs> it's stirrups and inflatable jacuzzis. They've been suspicious that maybe he's like part caretaker or a caretaker in disguise or something. And having proven that he's not, they're like, this must be a a Tetrion reactor that you use to make this thing. You must have gotten that from a, a caretaker or similar. Sure. And his defense is also very credible seeming. He's like, look, the reason I didn't tell you was that uh, this is a pretty high value part over there. It has a significant dollar value. Yeah, like you destroyed your caretaker station because you didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands. I'm kind of coming from the same place here. Yeah, you kind of have a reputation for destroying things like this. Can you blame me for not telling you? Yeah. For not telling the ship of death? They can bill me. And that makes sense to Janeway. They'll keep working together on fixing the station, but off to the side, Seven tells Janeway, there is a non-zero chance that this is a reactor that is from the caretaker station and that those torpedoes that you shot at the station were insufficient to destroy this. And so... Seven is assigned a sort of forensic examination of the logs and the video and the debris from that explosion. And in the ass lab, she does that. 
she reviews all the tape of the destruction of the array and is like analyzing the compounds that were left over after it was destroyed. And she asked the computer about like, what did the Voyager use to destroy it? And it was a tricobalt device that was used. But what's weird is like a tricobalt device is like a single action weapon. And from that distance, the accuracy just doesn't seem to make sense. Mm. So you'd almost assume that there was another shooter right. shooting a different weapon across the way, especially with the way that the station moved once it exploded back and to the left. Right. Back and to the left. What are you saying? Was it some kind of magic tricobalt device? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Yeah. And and why was there a guy with an umbrella watching the tricobalt device? Why wasn't the caretaker station wearing a roof at the time? <laughs> that would be normal, right? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. I did like that scene where they were like apprehending the caretaker and the caretaker was about to shoot one of them with a, a pistol and, and they caught the webbing between their thumb and forefinger in the, in the hammer of the pistol. Oh, that's got to hurt. Oh, better than getting shot. <laughs> it is really weird when Seven presents this research to Tuvok on the bridge starts questioning him about the caliber of torpedo he shot, which is way over what was necessary. Like, Tuvok clearly wanted to make a big boom. By the big boom. That the reactor went into subspace mid-explosion due to the caliber of these torpedoes. Like, you tear subspace with these torpedoes, Tuvok. You know that, don't you? And he seems fine with that. It's like, you don't even care about subspace. And what about that tractor beam? Yeah. It would need to have a ship attached to that, right? There's one image from the like external camera on the Voyager that they keep showing in this episode of mid-explosion there being something that looks like a tractor beam. And like the sun on that tractor beam is clearly like casting a shadow at one angle <laughs> where like the caretaker station shadow is casting a different angle as though it's some sort of composite. Right. It's like Is Tuvok the Patsy here? <laughs> Makes you wonder. You sort of wonder if, like, Stanley Kubrick directed the footage of the destruction of the array and, and, like, did it on behalf of a conspiracy to make us believe that it went one way when it really went another. Sure seems like it. But the thing about Tuvok is that you cannot conversationally corner him into your weird worldview about what might have happened. Speculation is not evidence. He's too logical for that. Yeah, he, he could never go QAnon, you know? No, yeah. But you know who could? Neelix. Because <laughs> in the mess hall, Seven, for some reason, chats him up about what she's trying to puzzle together. Yeah. And the events surrounding the pilot episode of the series. Yeah. Back in that episode, Neelix was a pilot. Yeah. This is straight out of Law and Order, too. Like, Neelix as guy with a push broom working in a factory, like, yeah. getting asked a bunch of questions. Doesn't stop working as yeah. he's being questioned about the, the details of the case. Yeah. Neelix is ready to believe her. And he is enthusiastic about, like, being a part of it, contributing his own ship sensor logs. And Seven's like, cool, do we get to see your weird ship? And Neelix is like, fuck no, I'm just giving you the logs. Just data. 
Yeah. Do not look at my ship. <laughs> no one gets to see that ship. Yeah. So he shares his sensor records with her. And just like as a reminder, this was in an era where the caretaker was bringing ship after ship to the Ocampa system. It takes seven like hours to get past all of the Kess stuff, though. Like kind of a gross amount of sensor footage <laughs> about Kess here, Neelix. Yeah. We were getting very close. I don't like that. Yeah, like it's it's okay that you had a crush on her. Yeah, but like this is overkill. I'm like the fact that she never figured this out. Yeah, the fact that when she became a being of pure energy, she didn't freshen you up. You're fucking lucky. Seven checked out the tax documents folder on the sensor logs, and she really <laughs> regrets that. Yeah, so she goes and uh, loads all this information into into her brains. Hey, Mikey, I think he likes it. The next morning, we get to see Tash using his gadget, and this looks awesome. It's another scene that really made me like Tash, because like a kid at the top of a hill in a soapbox race, he is so excited, and <laughs> yeah. he's grateful for the help, and he's like, all right, hopefully this works. If it does, you'll hear from me in a couple hours. And what's crazy about this is like the, his enthusiasm is mirrored by Janeway's facial expression, which is like she's watching a grandparent try to eat with chopsticks. Like <laughs> she's like willing it to work, but deep down she's she does not think it's going to. <laughs> she does not have a lot of confidence. No. Yeah. I love the the special effect on Tash firing this thing up. It looked so yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, his ship is kind of like caught in a web of lightning and then it just like rockets out of there. And yeah. I think that they really did a great job of visualizing catapult, you know? Yeah. This portal doesn't necessarily like go anywhere. It kind of folds space. Mm. And that combined with Tash's crucifix shaped ship <laughs> really gives the whole scene a different vibe. Yeah. I mean, I would say Tash poking a pencil through that piece of paper felt a lot like. Seven going through Neelix's uh, <laughs> ship logs. Excuse me, uh, that's Vanessa and that's mine. If Chicote had been the one to poke a pencil through that piece of paper to demonstrate how space travel works in Event Horizon, would he have broken the pencil yeah, after? I think, so. <laughs> I think so. I think so too. And that would have been more accurate to what happened in Event Horizon, you know? Very much so. I've got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. 
Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So they've got a couple hours to kill, and Seven's like, this is a great time to call Chakotay to the ass lab, and Chakotay's like, cool, I've got nothing but time. On my way. There, Seven sets up the ass lab for masturbation. Computer, seal the doors. Deactivate all sensors within this room. Acknowledged. And like the look on Chakotay's face is like, oh, oh, is this happening? Whoa. I had no idea, Seven. Yeah, he like checks his pits to make sure they don't smell. <laughs> yeah. If only I'd had between three and five minutes to prepare just minimally. <laughs> that would have been great. Instead, Seven reports that Janeway has an evil plot and that yeah. uh, she's been using Chakotay and the rest of the Maquis as pawns in a dastardly scheme to establish a military presence by Starfleet and the Cardassians in the D-Quad. This was an exciting scene because you watch Chakotay kind of smugly, patiently 
eating this plate of crazy for a bit, like humoring her. Mm -hmm. But then he sees that picture of the Cardassian ship among all this evidence. And that kind of changes his mood. Yeah. It still doesn't quite explain like why the Federation would participate in a mission like this, like with Janeway in charge especially. And then Seven's like, There are precedents for unauthorized missions of this type, Commander. You know this as much as anyone. You've watched it happen. Right. And the way Seven like paces behind that rail like a lawyer, like it's total courtroom physicality. Yeah. Did you ever watch Boston Legal? Because Jerry Ryan was in that show. It made me wonder, like, seeing Lawyer 7 operate in this room made me wonder if this is the audition tape for that show. Like, pop it in, because she fucking delivers. Jerry Ryan does here. The way she is relentless with her point of view, the way anytime someone comes back at her with a, yeah, but what about this? She has a snappy answer and then, like, like a follow-up answer to that. Well, it's like, that's the trap of any conspiracy-minded person, right? Like, the purity of the information is required only to destroy the idea, but it's never necessary to create it. Like, it's your job to destroy this worldview perfectly. Right. And Chakotay is very much like an uncle scrolling through Facebook, where Mm -hmm. he starts out in a pretty, like, reasonable state of mind. And by the time he's done with Seven, he is on very shaky ground, like, reality-wise. Well, think about what it means to him. Like, maybe Janeway isn't in love with Tom Mervins, after all. Mm-hmm. Like, if she's willing to, to go through this mission, maybe Tom Mervins isn't even real. And those dogs either. Yeah. Maybe she's actually single. All right, you've got my attention. The implications are apparent. Yeah. This is like pretty upsetting because Tash would be the final phase of this mission, like building the thing that can bring all of the materiel of an invasion force from the A-Quad. And she's basically worn him down until he is sort of thinking she might have a really great point. Yeah. It worked. Worked at this point anyway. Yeah. They hear from Tash. Everything went great on Tash's mission. He's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm here. And uh, you guys can go ahead and uh, use my array. You know, a couple of things with the, with the shields, but I'll send you all the information you need to, to set yourselves up. And look, like if someone who looks like me claims to be in a relationship with me, looking for where I am mm-hmm. or whatever, you didn't see me. Yeah. You didn't see me use the array. You definitely don't know where I ended up. And if I had any advice, just say I'm dead. I didn't survive. And if you could just like, like don't bring it up in this part of the conversation, but if there's a way to work it in, just say something about how you also believe that eating ain't cheating. Just like, <laughs> I, I want them to kind of get this sense that that's like a pretty normal viewpoint. I'm sure you can understand what it's like walking around with a face appendage like this. Yeah. Looking like it's ready to go at all times. (laughs) I mean, eventually you just get worn down. It's really tempting for a lot of people. Anyways, it's been great knowing you guys. Enjoy that array. Tash out. Amazing. I must ash Mm -hmm. ride him. (laughs) Thanks, everyone that meets him. One of our more interesting missions. I'm going to miss Tash a lot. Yeah. That guy was great. There goes a real one. (laughs) 
<laughs> Shout out to a king. Yeah. <laughs> Weird that this show got the rights to like Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. Like, because when he sets out, like the lyrics come in and everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Tash was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I love Janeway's performance in the scene where they find out that it went great for Tash. Like the the look of like shock and optimism yeah. that she brings to this interaction is so great. Nana got that pot sticker to her mouth without dropping it in her own lap. Like <laughs> amazing. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. Janeway's optimism seated right next to Chakotay's suspicion is a mood, right? Like, I love this moment. Yeah, so good. And Tash broadcast these shield frequency things that they're going to have to do. And Kim's got it on an iPad and Chakotay leaps up and is like, I'm going to take that down to engineering. Don't do it as an email attachment. I don't want that uh, getting sent directly to BLT like that. And Kim's like, that's my iPad, though. And Chakotay's like, it's fine. It's actually company property. Yeah. See this weird silvery sticker? (laughs) You haven't been using this for like personal use, right, Kim? (laughs) Right, Kim? (laughs) And so Kim's got to like fake that, of course, he hasn't, but it's a Mm -hmm. total bluff because he's been using that to pound out to like constantly. He was stating the obvious again. Well, you see Kim do that thing where you like quit a bunch of programs. (laughs) before he hands it over to Chakotay. And Chakotay heads down to engineering and he gives the pad to BLT and he's like, all right, put this stuff into the computer, but like mess with the numbers a little bit. This is my favorite conspiracy of the episode. Have you run this by the captain? No, and I'm not going to. Not yet. This whole vibe? Because I've always felt like outside of the weird moment of romance between them, like... Makewee's Makewee's? On Makewee's Makewee's Conspiracy They gotta be talking like this all the time Not just about important serious stuff But like gossip Yeah And when the two of them are scheming on something I love to see this It's so charged Yeah And I think that I think the show is wise not to do this like once a season even Because I, I feel like it would make the crew feel too incohesive but this is a great episode yeah. premise to get us into like Chakotay and BLT are doing something like explicitly against Janeway behind her back and like initially BLT thinks it's ridiculous but then she's sort of brought into the conspiratorial way of thinking because she trusts Chakotay so much I think it's crucial though that like the ask isn't destructive either it's just time buying it's not like the gate stops working after a certain amount of time. Yeah. Chakotay just needs a moment to to look through this information personally. And I love that they like have to kick Ensign Kim out of the room so that they can c- keep having their little hushed conversation. This never happens to Ensign Kim. Usually he's the third in a boy-girl situation and like he's invited right in. Yeah, everybody's excited he's there. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Yeah. So over in the alcove, 
Seven wakes up and this time demands a meeting with Janeway. I need to speak with you in the S-Lab. I'm on my way. And after turning on those masturbation protocols... Janeway is getting really excited. She's like, I didn't realize that this was happening for me right now. This is great. (laughs) You never even made me a bathtub. What's this about, Seven? Most people assume that that experimental part of my life is past me in the academy. (laughs) I'm still ready to grow and learn sexually. (laughs) This is great. Yeah. Because Seven's message here is the Maquis are back. And Janeway, like, Janeway's take here is great. Did Chakotay put you up to this? Chakotay has been conspiring with the caretaker to use the array as a weapon, like this this Tetrion generator that the caretaker had would have been such an awesome, game-changing amount of power for the Maquis that they might have won their, their border yeah. dispute. This has all been a long con by Chakotay and the rest of the Maquis to trick Janeway. And she's like, I don't believe that for a second. Tuvok would have told me. And Seven's like, that's the thing. Tuvok <laughs> is in on it. Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. What did you think was happening here? Because the evidence used was the exact same evidence she used at Chicote earlier. Did you feel like Seven was glitching or that she was being possessed by some malevolent force or something? This is effectively confusing to me yeah. that she would use the same stuff in a in a different context. Yeah, because she doesn't do anything like say, I had misinterpreted this data yesterday and I thought yeah. that you were doing something. There's no mention of that. Right. Like she doesn't qualify these findings. You know Chakotay tells me everything. So this is very confusing for me. (laughs) I heard all the evidence, but none of the upshot. I heard the evidence over a plate of fajitas. (laughs) Mar y tierra, my favorite. (laughs) So the wackadoodle theory this time around is that the Maquis is going to use the reactor to attack Starfleet. I mean, later on in the corridor after this meeting... Seven is totally paranoid about everything and everyone. Yeah. You see her looking at people. You see her looking at Naomi as as a threat. Where are you going? That's not your concern. Nothing less threatening than Naomi. Yeah, Naomi totally gets just lit up by Seven in this scene. So mean. You hope the light up is sufficient that she's gone forever, though. (laughs) Unclear at this moment in time whether or not she'll be back. Oh, yeah, Adam. After this part of season six, there's almost no children in Voyager. Oh, good. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Naomi, like, runs off crying because Seven wants to know who she's affiliating herself with, and which sort of goes to that moment of confusion in the scene with Janeway in the ass lab. Like, does she think that Chakotay is doing a conspiracy or does she think that Janeway is doing a conspiracy? And it turns out she thinks both. Yeah. She like is holding both ideas in her head at the same time. And this comes to light even further in the next scene where Janeway and Chakotay have sort of been summoned to the cargo bay that Seven sleeps in to 
I it, like it's sort of a like trick mom and dad into getting back together again yeah. <laughs> type of storyline. I thought you called me. I thought you called me. The dueling dustbusters vibe of this is also a pretty big mood. Our phaser is standard equipment on board now. Must be. The trust in the captain and her first officer has effectively been shaken. Yeah. And what's interesting about this scene is that there's no confrontation in like a military sense. They don't nearly come to accusations or threats of mutiny or whatever. They both kind of reach this conclusion at the same time, which I think is a fantasy Chicote's had for a while. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> like a suspicion is that they would both conclude simultaneously. Mm, yeah. Which would be r- rare in, you know, in terms of how those things usually go, but sure. really exciting when it does happen. Yeah. You need to stay fully engaged no matter what. <laughs> So they get word from Ensign Kim that the Delta Flyer has been jaked and Seven is the one that done the jaking. And Seven also anticipated all the things they might do to try and tractor the ship back when she steals it. Her biosignature has been scrambled. They can't beam her out of there. They can't get weapons locked. They can't tractor beamer. How much would you have wanted a a like whip panda bee dunks as soon as he realizes that the flyer's been stolen. He's like, oh, oh no. We got to do everything to get this back. <laughs> Captain, let me go. I mean, the Alice ship was special, but this one, the Delta flyer, I have fucked a lot. Yeah. So the doctor has been dispatched to the cargo bay where he scanned Seven's bed and found that she's like overloaded her brain and like shorted things out by just putting too much data in there. I know Kung Fu. Show me. So with this knowledge, Janeway beams over to the Delta Flyer and like bumps right into a force field that Seven has set up around the cockpit. So they have to have this conversation across that threshold. Yeah. And uh, Seven is not willing to uh, follow Janeway's orders anymore. And that means that Janeway needs to appeal to her in some some different way. Yeah. In a personal way. She's like, Seven, you've been watching too much cable news. That stuff will rot your brain. Yeah. There is no conspiracy. You need to turn it off. And Seven's like, I know what you're up to. Like, I, I realized what the real mission was the entire time. And she has a third conspiracy theory now. It's yeah. not that Janeway is invading the dequad it's not chakotay is getting the maquis band back together it's that this was all a starfleet plot to go get seven from the dequad back from the borgs amazing that it's so personal now yeah i love all the footage they cut in from these old episodes me too they cut stuff from episodes all through the series in this it's really great. Start eight three two six. Start eight four eight three. Start eight five one zero. Start eight five three three two nine. Voyager is sent to the Delta Quadrant with orders to retrieve me. That's a long shot. That's not possible, Seth. What you're saying makes no sense. I don't believe you. Of course you don't. I really like this a lot. I think it's especially great because, like, some of the flashbacks are new footage and some of them are old footage. You know. I like the specificity of the choices like even if you're getting 
a couple of seconds here or there. They aren't so on the nose to bump you out of what you're thinking about during the scene. Like, there's not a ton of detail in these clips. And I think that's a positive thing about them. Yeah. So Janeway explains, like, listen, you downloaded way too much information into your head and you can't actually process all of it. And so what you're doing is trying to make sense of an information overload and you're connecting dots with like extremely improbable narratives that don't actually add up when you factor in all the information. You've lost your goddamn mind, Charlie. She starts talking about how they got to be friends with each other and how Janeway it, like has Seven's best interest at heart, for real. Don't you feel like Worf could have done this for Kern? Like, could have appealed to him in a different way, using experiences they've had together, or mm. memories, or whatever. But no, Worf was like, stir that ice pick up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was a great moment for Janeway. Like, the repetition of a captain's log is also like... It kind of feels like a tempo that feels machine-like in a way that would appeal to a seven. Like there's a rhythm to this scene yeah. that wears her down in a way that I thought was really, really smart. It's very interesting that Janeway has so many of these star dates memorized too. Yeah. I wondered about it because I was like, man, like she really has these down specifically, but then she like messes one of them up. Yeah. And... So it's, it seems like they're like things that she actually had, like she didn't like study up on an iPad before she beamed over there. Like it seems like she actually like tries to keep track of these things in her own head. She couldn't get Harry Kim's iPad to work for some reason. Mm. She was going to use it for those notes heading over, but yeah, kind of bizarre that it was bricked. She tried to plug it in to, to charge and there was some kind of goo in there. Uh, Should I feel complimented or insulted? Seven is persuaded. She drops the force field. Two to beam out. I guess they left the Delta Flyer in space. <laughs> right? You want to get the Delta Flyer before you use the catapult. Am I making any sense here? Yeah. And that was my main question at this point was like, they're going to use the catapult, right? I was so sad that they just cut to, we used the catapult in a captain's log. <sighs> That really felt like a double cross to me. I wanted to see it again. This episode is going one direction, at and into the catapult, and we don't even get that. <sighs> the catapult effect was cool. Do it again. Oh yeah, instead, you know what we get to see? Naomi Wildman. Cool. Dropping off a bunch of iPads in the ass lab. Yeah. Seven has a life lesson for Naomi in this scene. Learned from her experience doing that sleep osmosis studying thing that she's been doing the whole episode <laughs> she's like look you can feel like you want to play all the games or read all the books or do whatever it is you're interested in to the maximum but what's important here is that you choose quality over quantity yeah every time otherwise you turn into a deranged conspiracy theory person and <laughs> Yeah. No one likes those. Yeah. And uh, go easy on using Facebook, you know? <laughs> yeah. So finally, we get a, a dinner scene with Janeway and Chakotay again. Unclear what's on the menu. Well, it's like they've already eaten because they're having coffee, right? Yeah. And they, they kind of post-game the paranoia that they both felt early on. And they make some jokes about it to lighten the tension. That's nice. There's coffee interesting each other. You didn't poison the coffee, did you? 
do like a nice poison in my coffee, you know? Yeah. Really makes it a little bit more piquant. Coffee is probably a great vehicle for poison because of its inherent bitterness. Yeah. And that most poisons are bitter. How would you know? Did you like this episode, Ben? <laughs> you know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I did like this episode. Yeah, I think that there's like a, a couple of bumpy parts here and there. But overall, I thought that they did a really effective job of giving the characters plausible reasons to mistrust each other. I thought it was a mm -hmm. really great performance by Jerry Ryan. Yes. And I really like the idea that she was able to undermine Janeway and Tricote's sense of reality enough that they came to mistrust each other like that feels like a really solid relationship right now but you know like having seen them together for five plus seasons i thought it was a real magic trick that this episode plausibly got them to a point where they were carrying guns around each other <laughs> you really said it with plausibility everything laid out here seems pretty believable or believable enough to cause a lot of consternation among the crew. The question remains, though, Ben, like, what was the uh, the tractor beam about? Like, yeah, that was real. Or was it like a photo artifact that, you know, like... I kind of wonder if this is going to be an ongoing mystery for anyone. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess there were some pieces of evidence in there that were genuinely concerning. Yeah, yeah. Strong episode. I liked it a lot. And I think you can put an episode's weight on Jerry Ryan, and she'll carry that shit. She's great. Yeah, she rules. All right, Adam. Do you want to see if there's anything in the Priority One inbox for this episode? I am heading right there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a personal nature. It is from Stephen, and it is to you and me. That message goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, longtime supporter, first time P1. Thank you for all the excellent pod and the great communities that your shows have inspired. Shout out to all my exo cooks. Oh. This is an exo cook. That was an exocook drop that Stephen wrote. <laughs> that is amazing. 
There you go. I love playing viewer drops on the show. Yeah, that's really fun. Good job by Steven. The ExoCooks sent us aprons, and I still mm-hmm. wear my ExoCook apron from time to time. I was wearing it the other day. It was uh, I was having a cookout with my family, mm-hmm. and I was wearing my ExoCook apron, and nobody asked me what it was. Uh, yeah, no one wants to start that kind of conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> I wear mine too. It's covered in crud. Oh, man. Yeah. But that's what an apron's for. Yeah, it's got dino damage, you know? Sure does. We should talk to the whoever made that ExoCook design about putting a, an ExoCook's apron in podshop.biz. Since the creation and appearances of Peanut Hamper, do you feel any differently about the ExoCook's? Yeah, just add a couple of uh, flying turtles to the yeah. background of the image, you know? Yeah. Maybe add a few more uh, appendages to the front. <laughs> Adam, our next priority one message is from Joe. It is also to us. goes like this. Recently, I was speaking with my girls, Emma, 11, and Bella, 9, and they made a faux vomiting sound that was pure garbage. Sending this $100 your way, hoping you would give them a demo of how it should be done so they grow up not being made fun of. Feel free to use whatever inspiration you need to get you to the right headspace. Thanks and best wishes. I don't usually like to be pimped. Mm. I love this style of pimping. This is great. All right, Emma and Bella, this is Ben and Adam. For some reason, your ridiculous father listens to our ridiculous podcast. We're going to give you a little lesson in, uh, in how to make barf sounds, fake vomiting sounds that are not pure garbage. Okay, hit plus 30 if... If this is something that will make you sick. All right? <laughs> Starting now. Because right. I'm... I'm going to be sick. Oh, oh God. I feel much better now. Yeah. Oh, it feels good to get it out. I always feel better after. Yeah, yeah. Needed to be done. The bad stuff is outside and not inside anymore. <laughs> uh, I have a studio to clean up now. Yeah. Oof. Rough. It's a real mess in here. Well, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to maximumfund.org slash jambotron. <laughs> It's a hundred bucks for a personal message or two hundred for a commercial message. Please get some commercial messages. <laughs> God damn it. Hey Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I think I'm gonna give it to Tosh. Tosh was a fun character. I like Tosh's explanation of, of why he lied. Yeah. As being like definitely wasn't about a family he was fleeing at all. It was not. And I think that the main reason I want to give it to Tosh is the mental image I had of all of the must Tosh rides oh. being provided once he got back to his his home star system that we kind of riffed up here on the show. I feel like Tosh made a lot of people really happy when he when he came home, you know? He will be missed. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Ben. I had a, I had another Shimoda, but goddamn. 
Great Shimoda. <laughs> Gotta salute this real one with the Shimoda. One of the best. Yeah. Yeah, Tosh rules. I'll think about Tosh for a long, long time. Well, Adam, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game. Um, I'm going to tell you about the next episode we're going to watch. It's season six, episode 10, Pathfinder. Voyager receives a special message from Starfleet Command. Whoa. Yeah. This has got to be a trap, right? Because they always are. Hmm. We'll find out. Hmm. 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 Ben, I'm over at the Game of Buttholes where our runabout pulses on square 57. Okay. Five squares ahead, a space butthole that would send us all the way back down to the second row. It's the only thing we can hit. Okay. With a six-sided die. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. But we could also just hit a normal square, right? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I should have put it like that. <laughs> yeah, we can still do normal episodes. Okay, good, 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 good. Let's see what happens. Ben, I rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. That puts us on square 59. Nice. Nice. And uh, that makes it a regular old episode. Okay. For you and me. Wow. I'm looking forward to a regular old episode. Yeah. Those are great. It's going to be good. Yeah, especially with this episode coming up. Yeah. In retrospect, it's a shame we didn't land on a caretaker square last time because this was a real, real caretakery adjacent episode that we just watched. Yeah, it sure was. Well, anyways, I had a great time talking it over with you today. It's always a pleasure to make pod for the friends of DeSoto, Adam. The pod, either Star Trek or Baywatch or Cheesecake Factory or just a bunch of barf sounds. <laughs> we do a variety of genres Speaking of Baywatch, right after this We're going to record an episode of our Baywatch Rewatch podcast Santa Monica Mountain We release like a handful of episodes A year about over in the bonus feed Oh yeah, check that out If you are one of the great FODs that support the show At MaximumFun.org slash join Look out for that We gotta thank Wendy Pretty, the producer Of this program Gotta thank Bill Tilly, our card daddy, who helps run the social medias on our show. Got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the original theme music of Greatest Gen and Greatest Trek. And, uh, of course, all of that was a riff off of the original work of Dark Materia, who made the Picard song. Boy, I don't know. Use uh, the hashtag Greatest Gen to talk about the show online. We're going out on tour. Peep our tour dates at greatestgentour.com. Yeah, get some merch at podshop.biz. And uh, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek. Not the next generation. Star Trek Voyager. And an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that you could confuse with a TNG episode because it has not failed to eat its broccoli. Oh, shit. I think I figured it out now. <laughs> it's got me tapping for stress. Yeah, yeah. Plexing, is that what they call it? Yeah. So. Make it so. Captain, 
you know, I, I, f- I feel better already. I think I can do this. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.